Hi there, welcome to one more episode of the Oplane podcast where aviation innovators and entrepreneurs share the coolest projects they are working on. And remember, you can find all the previous episodes of the podcast as well as many other aviation stories on our website, oplane.tv. That's A-L-L-P-L-A-N-E.tv. And for today's episode, let's get some warm clothing because we are heading north to the beautiful country of Norway, which has self-mandated what is perhaps currently the most ambitious decarbonization goals for the aviation industry. And no better to talk about this country-level strategy and how the Norwegian aviation industry plans to implement it than one of its main players. Olaf Mosvold Larsen heads a carbon reduction program at Avinor, Norway's airport operator, a government-owned company that operates Norway's 44 airports. Avinor has been very proactively pursuing this green aviation agenda in Norway, not just by implementing green policies at its facilities, but also by engaging other players in the Norwegian aviation ecosystem and supporting initiatives to test new technologies. For example, Avinor's CEO, test flies personally the latest models of electric aircraft, and Oslo's airport newest terminal has received several awards because of its environmentally friendly design. But no one better to explain all of these in full detail than Olaf himself. Hello, Olaf. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Very good. You are joining us from uh, snowy Oslo. Yes, that's right. correct. And thank you so much indeed for, uh, for having me for this podcast. That's great. I've been long waiting to have this conversation because basically what you do at Avinor is a reference in the world of aviation sustainability. Let me introduce you to the audience. You are the manager of Avinor Carbon Reduction Program and Avinor is the company that manages pretty much all the airports in Norway, over 40 airports in total. You also are a very active player in the Norwegian carbon reduction strategy for aviation, which is one of the most ambitious in the world. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Uh, that is one of the most ambitious uh, in terms of timeline and, and ambitions, yes. And mm -hmm. also the inclusion of such a big part of the Norwegian aviation industry has sort of signed up to this uh, strategy. And I think mm -hmm. that's really stimulating. So can you tell us a bit more about uh, yourself, your role at Avinor and why Avinor is such a, an active player in, in this space? Yeah, so... Um, I've been working with Avinor for, uh, for almost 14 years now, uh, working on carbon issues the whole time, giving advice to our top management. Um, I'm currently coordinating uh, all the sort of carbon reduction activities in our, in our company. So with uh, some great colleagues, we're working on reducing our own emissions, but we're also working on reducing the emissions from, uh, from air traffic and, and also surface access to the, to the airports. Mm -hmm. um, my background is from the University in Oslo, actually. I was a researcher at the University in Oslo for a couple of years before I joined Avinur, and I have never looked back. Yeah, I can uh, tell when we were having the chat before this call that you've been really breathing, literally, this, all this sustainability stuff for a long time because you've been pretty much in the thick of it for a number of years and playing a role there in this very ambitious agenda. 
but I mean, or you published a report like two or three months ago that outlines the strategy for Norway to the year 2050. It's a very comprehensive document, but at the same time, it's very readable. There are quite a few interesting points there. What can you tell us about this whole Norwegian country strategy to, to become a, a leading place when it comes to carbon reduction in aviation? Well, this is the fourth report in the series. So we wrote the fourth, first report in 2007 and published it in February, I think, 2008. And then there were sequels in 2011 and 2017. And now we have this new report came out in English just before Christmas in 2020. And uh, it's uh, been a joint sort of work group working on this uh, on this report. It's been representatives from the three domestic airlines in Norway, uh, Scandinavian Airlines, Norwegian Air Shuttle, and uh, Vidra, the regional airline, together with the Confederation of uh, Aviation Industries and also the main um, uh, labor union. So the whole sort of story behind this report, which is termed uh, Aviation in Norway, Sustainability and Social Benefits, in uh, that's the English translation, is that we wanted to showcase that uh, we are totally dependent on aviation in, uh, in Norway. Norway is for many practical purposes an, an island. Uh, we have a long stretch border to, um, to Sweden, but if you want to sort of, or if you want to or have to travel abroad, you will basically have to travel by by air yeah, and actually, also the is it, is it possible actually to travel all the length of norway by land or, or oh, cut at some places oh yes uh, no it's yeah. uh, it's uh, it's possible uh, uh -huh. you can even do it without taking a ferry uh, uh maybe for the last stretch very north at the north cape there's uh no there's a tunnel there now so you can you can actually drive you can bicycle if you want to but then there are all the um, is the topography it's all the mountains and the fjords yes uh, so it's uh, not the rail uh, network is not that much developed so people are basically quite dependent on, on, on air travel for, uh, for also domestic purposes. So in fact, half of all the emissions from the Norwegian aviation industry is from, from domestic travel, more or less. Mm -hmm. um, and domestic so, travel, actually, it's uh, one of the, let's say, most ambitious targets is actually referring to domestic travel. We, we will have the chance to cover it more deeply later, but you have this ambitious goal of making ele electric or making it fossil, uh, fossil free yeah, Avinur, we a couple of years ago, we um, uh, stated a vision that we mm -hmm. thought that uh, by 2040, all domestic air travel in Norway could be electrified. Uh, not necessarily 100% battery electric, but mm -hmm. electrified in terms okay. of uh, using electric uh, motors, but it could be hybrid electric solutions or, or even fuel cell solutions powering those electric motors. So yes, that's, uh, that's our, our, our vision for the domestic market. So, but going back to the report, so yes. this is the fourth uh, report in the, in the series, and uh, we've been trying to showcase why we are so dependent on aviation in Norway. What is the facts about emissions from the aviation industry? What's the numbers? And then what can we do to mitigate the emissions? And then we've made sort of projections or trying to show what happens if traffic growth is uh, x and y or z and emission reductions is like this or that then we'll end up in a couple of decades from now with uh, uh, emissions in, 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 in this magnitude. So what is new about the fourth report is that we have um, agreed uh, the whole aviation industry in Norway, the parties I mentioned, uh, that uh, our goal as a common uh, group is that uh, Aviation in Norway should be fossil free by 2050. And by that we means all 
traffic or air traffic in Norway and traffic departing Norway uh, should be should be fossil free by the means of uh, sustainable aviation fuels, uh, electrification or hydrogen propulsion. Yeah, I, I read the report and I, I got this idea that there is no silver bullet. It's a, a combination of measures. So you are looking at it, a, let's say, in a holistic way. You have set up some goals for uh, the use of sustainable biofuels, and you also are pushing an electric electrification agenda, but you're also looking at other technologies, hydrogen, of course, but also things like uh, optimization of operations. Obviously, for the airlines that are involved in this work group also are considering things like making fleets more efficient, etc. So from the point of view of Avinor, what are you doing today to be on path to, to fulfill these this goals? Because I read you are already implementing a number of measures. Actually, I think you've been already offsetting emissions for a number of years, but then you are, for the coming years, you are planning another, other measures as well. So uh, elect, electrifying the uh, ground fleet, for example, you open a new terminal that has all the, let's say, all the best practices in, in terms of sustainability. What can you tell us about Avinor specifically? Well, I think from the group's point of view, reducing carbon emissions has been a priority for more than a decade now. We, I think we started offsetting uh, the emissions from our own operations. So that's from Avinor's operations in 2007. So we're so-called carbon neutral, uh, the whole company. And uh, we have uh, taken a lot of measures to reduce our own emissions uh, over the years. Uh, yes, definitely electrifying the fleet, the ground, the fleet of uh, ground vehicles, our own vehicles. Uh, we're doing a lot of measures in the, in the terminals and all the buildings at our 44 um, airports. We are currently facing in uh, huge amounts of sustainable biodiesel in the snow removal. Uh, equipment. In fact, I think uh, at Oslo Airport last year, although 2020 was a little bit odd in terms of of, um, of, of emissions, uh, more than 90% of the diesel that was used was sustainable aviation. No, it was a sustainable biodiesel. 2020. Um, yeah, that was 2020. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, and in terms of the terminals, um, we're using, uh, trying to use wood and natural materials uh, to the extent possible. Uh, in terms of, you always have to sort of balance it with economic and uh, and uh, functional functional needs. But we're trying to have a focus on so-called um, embedded uh, carbon. Uh, trying to use uh, building materials that uh, do not have a lot of um, emissions when they are produced. And uh, also uh, Oslo Airport, uh, the terminal extension, uh, certified uh, as BREAM excellent uh, when it opened uh, some four or five years back. And we've had same sort of measures at, uh, at other terminal projects throughout the country. So yes, we are definitely trying to reduce uh, the emissions from our own operations and also sort of talk more about the, the ground vehicles we are because um, electric vehicles are uh, really uh, sort of on uh, the bestseller list in uh, in Norway. I think approximately half of all new cars sold are um, are uh, fully electric, and we've been trying to also to sort of push that development by creating and establishing a lot of charging points at our at our airports. So I believe we have more than <coughs> 1,300, 1,300 charging points now at our at our airports, and I. 
believe that would make the, make us the uh, world's airport uh, the the airport operator in the world with the most uh, charging points. Yeah, uh, sorry, at our premises. I, mm. Yeah, if if we can stop you here one second, I just uh, because I was just looking at the numbers, and it looks like in two thousand and twenty, so the year that just ended, the electric vehicles accounted for over half. Yeah, so the majority of the majority of new cars sold in Norway are already electric as of now. Yeah, fully so, uh, electric, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that possibly gives uh, Norway a, a, a leadership spot when it comes to electric cars. Yeah, I think when it comes to phasing in electric cars and, and starting to use them, yes, definitely. But we're not we're not producing any of them, any of, them of course, so it's uh, it's all imports. But yeah. yes, using electric cars is, is uh, really catching on here uh, yeah. due to uh, lots of incentives uh, uh, from the government. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, well, you obviously have all this uh, hydroelectricity as well, so <laughs> I guess it it makes sense to to go electric. Although Norway is still uh, a big exporter of oil, I don't know. Uh, it's a bit out of scope now of this conversation. Yeah, but, but uh, that's a bit the the paradox, right? I mean, you you are a, an oil exporting country, but at the same time is a leader in in uh, decarbonization. Yes, indeed, that's sort of the paradox. Uh, definitely, we are some uh, some people call us the petroholics. <laughs> uh, so our economy is fairly dependent on the petroleum industry. Uh, we're exporting uh, one of the bigger oil export, oil and gas exporting countries in the world. But at the same time, we have huge amounts of uh, sustainable electricity as well so almost mm-hmm. 100% of our electricity production is uh, hydropower mm-hmm. we're also exporting clean uh, in the nor- in the year with normal precipitation we are exporting uh, clean electricity to um, the nordics and to the to the rest of europe so we're sort of uh, yes we are both we are both polluting the world with um, our oil ex- oil and gas exports and uh, and also trying to clean it up by doing things with <laughs> our electricity and other and other measures so uh, yes definitely a paradox and and a dilemma hmm. yeah well i i have to say i had the chance to visit an hydroelectric plant in central norway a few years ago uh, mm-hmm. in relation to a, a professional project i was doing at the time i was very impressed by the amazing electric generation infrastructure that is uh, there in in the fjords in those mountains, like they are all perforated with tunnels and dams and and uh, yeah. hydroelectric plants, really, really impressive. Mm, yes, indeed. Mm. Yeah. So back to um, aviation. You mentioned the biofuels, and I got the impression that uh, the Norwegian strategy places a, a strong accent on on uh, biofuels to at least bridge this gap until uh, let's say the electric and hydrogen technologies are available more broadly for aviation you have set up a goal of uh, having 30 percent of fuel consumption coming from biofuels by 2030 Hmm. is this 30 percent for all flights coming in and out of norway or is it only for domestic flights and where is this biofuel going to come from? I know there are a number of Norwegian companies that are experimenting with uh, biofuel, sustainable jet fuel technology. Because, of course, uh, the thing with biofuel, you also need to make make sure that it comes from sustainable sources in order to to claim that it's sustainable. 
What can you tell us about this biofuel strategy? Well, if you let me, I'll, I'll, I'll travel a little bit back in time because sure. <clears throat> to the point of departure for, for this podcast, because um, in the first report I mentioned, we, we wrote in, we, we published in 2008, we wrote maybe half a page on sustainable aviation fuels. And in those days, it wasn't any talk about flight shaming and, and that kind of stuff, because that's a rather new phrase, but, but uh, greenwashing was very high on the agenda. So we didn't really dare to, <clears throat> to write too much about sustainable aviation fuels. But then only a couple of years later in 2009, sustainable aviation fuels was certified for use in civil aviation for the first time. And then in, later on in 2011, HEPA was uh, certified, uh, another production route of uh, sustainable aviation fuels, and we sort of started to see light in the end of the tunnel. So we've been sort of develop, uh, monitoring this development for, uh, yeah, for 13, 14 years now. And uh, we've had a couple of uh, sort of uh, research projects together with um, Norwegian research institutions and uh, consultants. Uh, we're publishing reports and trying to put it on the agenda in Norway. And in uh, 2014, the first biofuel flights were carried out in, uh, in Norway. And uh, those were not the fuel first flights at all, but um, we were maybe <laughs> looking in hindsight, maybe too sensitive about the greenwashing debate. But anyhow, in 2014, we decided to carry out a couple of flights uh, together with SAS and the Norwegian Air Shuttle and uh, one of the Norwegian green groups, environmental uh, NGO called the Zero, Zero. And that sort of pace uh, picked up. And um, I believe it was in uh, late 2014, Torbjörn Larsson, the then CEO of what was called Statoil Aviation, that was later bought, acquired by AirBP, came to us and said, hey, we're considering a project together with Lufthansa Group. Would you like to make Oslo Airport the first airport in the world where biofuels is available for all airlines refueling there? And it took my CEO maybe two seconds to say, yes, we would like to be part of this project. And then things got a little bit delayed due to several sort of bureaucratic and technical uh, issues, but then eventually in uh, January 2016, Oslo Airport actually became the first international airport in the world uh, where aviation biofuels was available for all airlines on a commercial basis. And we also, also the first airport in the world where, where biofuels were dropped in to the main fuel farm and distributed in the hydrant and, uh, and dispenser system. And sort of that project went on for uh, three years. We also expanded to Bergen. And uh, uh, during the course of this, uh, from Avinur's side, we sort of hinted that uh, by 2030, due to the sort of information we had gathered in the reports I mentioned, that 30% of all fuel uplifted in Norway could actually be biofuels. So that was sort of a little bit of discussion in that in the media, etc. There is now already, I think, since 2020, a requirement for yeah. airlines in Norway to carry uh, still relatively small percentage, I think 0.5% 0, at the moment of uh, yes, correct. biofuel blended in the jet fuel they, con they consume. Yeah, that's correct. There had been a, um, what we call a drop-in mandate. It's also, also has other terms uh, and names, um, but basically uh, it's required by law to drop in or to blend in a certain amount of sustainable fuels into the fossil fuels uh, every year. And uh, that's been going on for the road transport for, I don't 
remember how many years now, but steadily increasing. And then the government decided to expand that also to, uh, to the aviation industry. So that was, that was a government, that was a parliament decision uh, that uh, from starting in 2020, actually, half a percent of all fuel uplifted, all jet fuel uplifted in Norway should be so-called advanced aviation biofuels. Uh, And now also other countries are considering the same. And I think it will be implemented in Sweden from this summer, perhaps 2021. And I know there's also discussion about the EU-wide mandate uh, and also mandates or similar mandates in uh, in other other European countries. And the parliament, Norwegian parliament's goal is that by 2030, 30% of all fuel uplifted in Norway should be sustainable aviation fuels based on this sort of implemented by this, uh, by this mandate. So yes, that's indeed uh, sort of both the governments uh, taking their measures, but also the, uh, both SAS and Norwegian Air Shuttle uh, have uh, quite ambitious biofuel goals on their own. Uh, even without the the, uh, the mandate, so this is sort of uh, both voluntary uh, and uh, there, there is both a voluntary push and also a sort of legislative uh, pull uh, mm-hmm. for uh, for uh, for this to happen. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Regarding these two airlines, I'm gonna post it in the show notes. But they yeah they have made public their commitments. For example, SAS has committed to reduce uh i think the emissions by 25 percent of uh sorry to have the emissions uh, 25 percent less than they were in 2005 by 2025 i'm not mm-hmm. sure if that's uh, the right yep. way that's to right. put yeah okay yep. and norwegian and also that's, has and that's total co2 emissions not only emissions per passenger but total CO2 okay emissions. yeah yeah uh, norwegian also recently published uh, its own its own uh, goals. One question I, am ha- I have here about the biofuels. What is the bottleneck that is preventing biofuels to from becoming more widely used? On one hand, if I understand correctly, is a cost because they are more expensive than the conventional fuel. Um, but there's also a sort of a supply bottleneck, isn't it? Well, there are several issues, but there is sort of a traditional egg and hen uh, thing. Uh, prices are high, costs are high for production, and then uh, uh, demand is fairly low, which means that production is also fairly low, which means that you can't reduce the costs for, for uh, or production costs. So it's sort of a circular thing there. But then that said, uh, biofuels um, or biomass, uh, it is a a lot more costly process than um, producing uh, fossil fuels. And I can can illustrate that actually, because when I I mentioned the flights in 2014, and apologies if I get the numbers totally wrong, but I think in in the fall of, uh, of 2014, the oil price per barrel of oil was more than $100. And then it was this uh, dramatic drop in the uh, in the oil price. So by 2016, when Oslo Airport became the first airport in the world, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, the oil price was down to twenty dollars or thirty dollars per uh, per barrel. So a uh, extreme drop in in the cost of fossil fuels as well, and that made it uh, difficult for these new sustainable aviation fuels to. Um, to compete with the uh, with the oil price, and I think that's something that both sort of politicians and uh, NGOs and everybody sort of have to keep in mind that uh, that aviation is an 
extremely competitive uh, global business. So yeah. let's say a few airlines in a, in a small region have a lot higher uh, costs, operating costs than, than their competitors. They will sooner or later be out of business. So this is also sort of making it difficult to, uh, to regulate the, the aviation industry because it's so global by its mm-hmm. nature compared with, I think, any other uh, industry. Yes, you mentioned it in the report, actually. There's a line that says explicitly that fuel, and not even talking about biofuel here, but fuel in general, it's more expensive in Norway. So many airlines, they would fill the tank somewhere outside of Norway and then make sure they have enough fuel to make the trip back and forth. So that means that they overall consume more fuel because they are flying heavier. And that's, uh, yeah, that's something that happens. Yeah, I think we said so that there's a risk of increased so-called tankering. Yeah, uh, which is mm-hmm. a uh, which is a, a real issue actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. hmm. You mentioned also advanced biofuels. What defines whether biofuel is advanced? Is it because it comes uh, the whole production cycle? It's also sustainable. Is this the difference between advanced and non-advanced uh, biofuels? Uh, I think the, sort of the main uh, difference is that advanced biofuels, and there are diff- slight different definitions of this, that the, the biomass used in the fuel production should be uh, based on waste or residues. Okay, yeah. so that they then, then crowd out yeah, go ahead. Other, other crops or... Exactly, or, yeah. Or takes yeah. land that would be uh, just a forest uh, exactly exactly so no food no fodder and uh, we have all this iloc problematic but then there's obviously a lot of discussions on what is waste and what is residues could it be applied for something else Uh, but there we just have to sort of trust the the authorities in in their definitions and we as an airline industry we we cannot make those decisions by ourselves so we're we're using the guidelines and the certifications uh, that are sort of official from uh, from the governments mm-hmm. and besides the besides the biofuel there's also the whole world of electric aviation and i think here avinor has also had a, a very active role to the point that uh, avinor as, as an airport operator invested in uh, electric aircraft of its own basically to test several ideas and concepts around the development of electric aviation what can you tell us about this yeah, that's, that's actually a very interesting uh, story because I remember in 2010 working in this business, I was sort of reading all the newsletters and what came up and whatnot. And, and then we saw this little acrobatic uh, aircraft, Cree uh, flying fully electric in, in France. And I looked at the picture and I sort of thought to myself, well, okay, that was really amazing, but let's uh, wait and, and watch what happens here because it, it didn't look like it would sort of uh, have relevance for for commercial traffic anytime soon um, and then was sort of a breathtaking moment at least for 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 me that uh, in uh, I think it was summer uh, July perhaps uh, 2015 uh, the same guys uh, Didier and uh, Estain and uh, some other French people uh, together with Airbus and I don't remember the exact consortium but they developed a fully electric aircraft that flew across the 
English Channel uh, epic uh, electric uh, flight. And then it sort of occurred to us because that flight was 72 kilometers. And uh, that's actually a lot longer than some of the domestic routes flown in Norway today. I think the shortest flight in Norway is 32 kilometers only. So, And we have a number of uh, flights shorter than 70 kilometers. And then it occurred to us that, okay, this could be a thing of the future. We knew a little bit about battery development. We uh, had, have had hybrid cars in Norway for a long time, obviously, and sort of we started looking into this. And, and uh, some sort of friends and colleagues in the Norwegian Air Sports Federation, uh, that's the guys organizing all the general aviation and the parachuters and, and all that kind of stuff. They came to us and said, well, should we do a project on electrification of aviation together? <laughs> and again, we said yes. Uh, so in 2016, DDR and uh, came uh, together with a team from, from Airbus, came to a big uh, carbon conference downtown Oslo with their little electric aircraft. And we had a very nice chat with them at the conference, obviously. We were there a couple of days uh, together displaying the aircraft, talking about aviation and, and carbon emissions. And in 2017, I believe it was February or March, our um, board of directors and the top uh, management, they went to visit Airbus in, in Toulouse and got a very nice brief from Glenn Llewellyn and uh, some of his colleagues, I believe, about sort of what they could see in the crystal uh, ball uh, of, of the future. And then it was, it was getting clearer and clearer for us that uh, many of the flights in Norway could be flown electrically or at least without um, liquid uh, liquid fuels from that whole internal discussion where my ceo um dog falk peterson uh, was really a driving uh, force and our strategy director as well jon schelander uh, we sort of came up with a vision that we believe that by 2040 uh, looking at the information we have now from the aircraft from the oems we believe that actually all domestic air traffic in norway could be electrified that was sort of our vision, and that really caught on. And uh, I think it was in the headlines many, many corners of the world because it was the first time a state-owned company uh, had said that. And we also stated it in a, in a meeting with the environmental minister of Norway in those days. Uh, so it sort of caught on. Uh, and, and actually, I still believe that is possible. Yeah. And, and uh, one of the main domestic, I don't know if it's the largest, but the, the airline that is covering many of these short haul roads between Norway is uh, with row, sorry if I don't pronounce it correctly, <laughs> um, has also committed to, um, to being an early adopter of electric aircraft as soon as they become available at this scale. Definitely something that, that you guys are taking very seriously. Um, sorry, yes, you were, so uh, I distracted you from the, the, the story about the, the aircraft. So uh, how did you yeah. end up then, uh, yeah, operating your own electric aircraft? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was actually part of that project with uh, with uh, Norwegian Air Sports Federation. So, you know, it's like we realized that when talking to people about electric aviation, it was like, yeah, right. We hear what you're saying, but we don't really believe you. So we decided to buy an aircraft. And the only aircraft we could buy was the PPSRL Alpha Electro, which made the choice very easy. <laughs> uh, so we got delivery of that aircraft in uh, May or June 2018. Uh, I think. Um, and that has been just a very nice um, 
experience side, I must say. One thing is sort of learning how this works with the charging and sort of getting to grips a little bit with, uh, with uh, electrifying aviation, because that will have a huge impact on us as an airport operator as well. Uh, in the future, we expect um, aircraft to a bigger extent to need both charging and perhaps also hydrogen supply. So uh, we're sort of getting an idea of uh, what follows that. But what the best thing about the aircraft has been is actually it has been an extremely efficient uh, communica communication platform to talk about aviation and carbon emissions in what we believe is a balanced way to uh, sort of admit the problems uh, we have with uh, emitting uh, 900 gigatons of CO2 um, uh, into the atmosphere every year on a global uh, scale, which is equivalent to somewhere between two and two and a half percent of total CO2 emissions in, in, the, in the world. But then at the same time that there are technical solutions and that there are technologies that can sort of take us out of uh, uh, this rather miserable uh, situation of being so dependent on fossil fuels that there mm -hmm. are technologies out there that can take us forward and that can make aviation part of a zero and low emission uh, future society that mm -hmm. we all we know we have to get there and now we have we're getting to grasp with some of the technologies that can actually get us there and uh, we think that's really fascinating yeah and uh, actually there there's one episode of uh this electric plane experience uh, i don't know if you you want to comment but i think there was some mishap right at some point and uh one of these uh the aircraft had to make uh, an emergency landing in a lake uh, yeah. due to this some technical issue but this despite this experience uh i think there was a minister on board or some yeah. high-ranking uh, government officer yeah on board. uh yeah that and was uh hmm. Yeah, but but I mean, just a proof of that, you know, you're not taking this commitment lightly is that despite all of this, you have renewed the this commitment by ordering a new aircraft to, to replace the one that, that had this issue and continue yeah, and continue this program. Yes, yes, in, uh, in, uh, indeed. Um, we, um, uh, that was in the summer of 2019, in uh, early August. It was actually my CEO that was uh, pilot on that uh, flight, and uh, he had a guest on board. It was a um, deputy um, uh, minister, and they had the engine stopped, uh, and he couldn't start it again. So he had to make an emergency landing, and it was kind of a foresty area around the uh, the little airport that uh, we used as uh, as a base. Uh, and the only suitable place he could find uh, was a little lake. So he landed the aircraft on the in the lake, and the photos from that <laughs> from that story looks very dramatic because it looks like he sort of had dived into the lake. But it was actually fairly smooth uh, smooth landing, and they were not even wet. Mm. Uh, they got a little bit wet on their feet when stepping uh, on shore from the uh, from the aircraft, and then after that, the uh, the aircraft tipped. But okay. that also meant that the um, the aircraft uh, would need either a big restoration, um, or we would have to sort of get the full replacement. So we decided to, um, after a short process, to uh, buy a new aircraft of more or less the same type as a Pipistrelle Velis Electro, but this is the model that is also certified by EASA. Uh, and we're getting delivery of that in May this year, if uh, everything goes according to plans. So we're looking forward to fly that now in summer of 2021. 
Great. Yeah. So yeah, so that has definitely not stopped us from uh, from um, uh, working along this path of trying to find new zero or very low emission propulsion technologies uh, for uh, for aviation. Yeah, actually, uh, the Pipistrel um, is an interesting aircraft. I had the chance a bit of self promotion here, but um, there's a previous episode of this podcast where I interviewed the founder of Pipistrel and the current CEO. Um, yeah, evil. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, I just mentioned it here. So in case someone is interested in in checking the story of Pipistrel, uh, there's a whole podcast episode about it. And I did also another episode with um, these guys in Germany that did a, a, a flight from Switzerland to the North Sea using uh, Pipistrel valleys as well. So mm. yeah. So I want to post this in the show notes so that. Anyone that is interested in expanding their, you know, information about this particular pipistrel aircraft can find the information. So, Olaf, you um, told me about uh, the efforts to electrify, but what about hydrogen? Because that's a technology source that has been touted as being one of the most promising for, particularly for the, let's say, longer haul type of routes. Mm. What are you guys well, doing in, at Avinor for in, in yeah. hydrogen? Well, indeed, uh, hydrogen is really coming up as a uh, tangible uh, solution uh, for zero or very low emission uh, aviation in the future. And, and uh, we are definitely uh, monitoring this uh, development very closely. Uh, we have already some experience, actually, with uh, hydrogen at Oslo Airport because we had a couple of uh, hydrogen cars running there for, for a number of years. So we had a mm. hydrogen refueling station at Oslo Airport, both for, for our own vehicles and also for, um, uh, for uh, the general public, for, for our, our passengers. For cars. But anyways, so... uh, yeah, for cars, yeah. yeah. So uh, hydrogen is, is a very sort of extremely convenient, I don't maybe that's not the word, but it's a, it's a very nice energy carrier. It is already used in, uh, in producing some types of biofuels to sort of enrich hydrogenate uh, biofuels. It could be a very important, um, well, it is definitely an important part in uh, what is called electrofuels that is uh, coming up. E-fuels, uh, that's also sort of uh, uh, trending uh, in Sorry. terms of reducing can, emissions. Can I stop you here one second? Uh, when you mentioned electrofuels, can you elaborate more yeah. on that? Yeah, electrofuels is uh, creating uh, hydrocarbons, so that's fuel, basically fossil fuel, but using uh, hydrogen from uh, a renewable source, so clean, uh, green or blue, what we call blue hydrogen, uh, and then adding carbon uh, atoms uh, from some other uh, source. It could be biogenic uh, carbon, or it could be carbon from a factory, uh, any type of carbon, basically. Uh, so it's a sort, of, to... a sort of carbon capture that is then kind of recycled, like let's say carbon recycling. Yeah, it's <laughs> what, it is at least uh, used once more. Um, so what then in the sort of the big scheme of things one should avoid to in the future, we cannot emit any new fossil carbons into the atmosphere. Uh, so there will definitely, uh, there is already an, a debate ongoing about the sustainability of, of certain types of electrofuels. But there is a potential there to uh, to use clean hydrogen and uh, carbon from a decent source, make it into a, a, a liquid fuel that can be used in today's 
uh, hardware or today's aircraft and today's fuel infrastructure. And it will not have the same limits as uh, sustainable aviation fuels or, or, or biofuels in terms of uh, uh, supply of biomass. So that's, uh, that's two applications of, of hydrogen in, in the aviation industry. And then it's obviously uh, using hydrogen in a uh, electrolyzing uh, in, a, in, a, in a fuel cell uh, to create uh, electricity for an for a electric motor. And that would be under the, what we have defined as uh, electrified aircrafts. But then there's also a, a kind of uh, an, another option, and that is to um, combust uh, hydrogen directly in custom jet engines. That has been done already as a Russian aircraft, the Tupolev, I think, in the 80s. Uh, yeah. It's been used in, uh, in the airspace uh, industry and also probably from other, for other civil appliances. So hydrogen is really coming up as a, um, uh, as a tangible solution, as I said. And I think it's uh, extremely interesting that a company like uh, Airbus uh, published their strategy to, uh, or uh, a big activity called Zero E, to have a uh, hydrogen or zero emission aircraft uh, in the market by 2035. And that could really, really revolutionize uh, air travel. And uh, from Avinur's point of view, we are, as we have talked about a couple of times, airport operators. So uh, we will be more or less uh, responsible for infrastructure on the ground. And we have committed that we will not be a bottleneck, rather the opposite. We will be a driving force in trying to get both electricity, if charging is required, or hydrogen available at our airports when these aircraft will be both tested and also used for a more regular commercial basis. So that's definitely our, our commitment. Uh, yeah, we monitor both Cervavia and uh, Airbus and uh, other activities in this domain very closely. Are there a specific tangible plans, though? At the moment, it's just a, a commitment to, to follow through as soon as yeah, this well, technology becomes more, more widespread. What we have done, uh, I think I have to compare it with what we've done on, on electrification. We have mapped what we call uh, the electricity supply and the use or demand at all our airports and in their vicinities. Uh, so we have a decent idea about what the capacity is in local grids. And uh, we're planning to do something similar uh, for hydrogen uh, after summer, perhaps, to sort of get a decent overview of uh, possible supply chains, uh, look at these different technologies, liquid hydrogen storage, what's the requirements? Could it be, uh, I mean, in the future, it could even be electrolyzers at the airports producing hydrogen on site. Uh, so, I mean... I don't know if that is science fiction or 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 or, uh, or science or what it is yet, but uh, but we will definitely uh, look into this and uh, we will be ready if this is uh, required by uh, by the airlines in the future for sure. They, indeed, it, it's uh, the the supply chain for for the hydrogen economy. It's actually one of the the most important aspects. I think I I had the chance to speak with uh, one of the founders of Universal Hydrogen, which is a, mm -hmm. a U.S. startup. Was started by a former Airbus uh, CTO, and and uh, they propose a very interesting system, uh, modular, where you can have all these capsules of hydrogen that would be easily transportable and then fitted into aircraft that needs to be specially modified. But what they tell me is not it's not a very complex thing to do. I mean, you have to invest a little bit in it, but still, it, it it's interesting. I guess we're mm -hmm. going to see more of this innovation 
in this space to to sort out these constraints on the supply side yeah very good yeah. so looking so is we're looking forward to follow that and uh, we're monitoring both the development of sustainable aviation fuels the sort of electrification of aviation and uh, also the developments in the hydrogen domain so it's uh, it's extremely interesting uh, uh, times yeah you are committed to this decarbonization but there is one one spot in your network of all your 44 airports under your management that is a bit special isn't it i mean there's this place in the very very far north even close to the to the north pole i think it's the the airport that is farther north anywhere in the world that has regular commercial traffic and i'm talking about the archipelago of svalbard there's a very particular situation there because you have an airport that runs on coal yeah so how is it? I mean, the, uh, there is this airport that's very unusual situation because I, I cannot yes, think of any other airport running on coal anywhere in the world. Uh, no, uh, well, there probably are some in uh, some, but uh, no, the situation in Svalbard is that there's actually a big, uh, several big coal mines up there. And it's uh, far from the any mainland. Uh, uh, the Norwegian mainland is the closest, and that's I don't know how many days with ship. Uh, it's a couple of hours flights uh, to to, uh, to to get there. So the whole uh, Svalbard uh, or Longyearbyen, which is the main uh, city uh, or village, uh, is uh, is fully dependent on on coal, both for heating and for electricity. <laughs> and there's no such sort of easy or quick fix in trying to replace uh, coal as the main uh, energy carrier yeah. what we have done at the airport though is and yeah and uh, interestingly enough that one airport constitutes something like uh, 16 one six percent of avinor's total uh, carbon emissions uh, from, yeah. from our airport operations which, that little airport which is uh, crazy which, because it's it's a really remote place yeah. that maybe yeah. i mean i don't know what's the traffic but it might possibly getting what a couple of flights a day or something like that to yeah, link it to the mainland <laughs> yeah so yeah and and it's it's basically the lifeline of of, of that community so it's very important but what we have done though we we're trying to find new solutions so we have installed uh, solar panels on the many of the buildings a couple of small windmills and now we're carrying out a small, uh, we're carrying out a project, sort of feasibility study. Uh, if we can make, uh, sort of find a new energy solution for a couple of, a total off-grid energy solution for uh, uh, sand storage and, uh, and cargo uh, warehouse. Uh, and uh, based on the experiences from that, we're looking into sort of do the whole airport operations off grid uh, from the uh, from the big coal uh, energy plant mm -hmm. up there. But then, parallel in parallel with this, the Norwegian government have decided that by 2022, I think, or 2023, uh, the news just came out a couple of weeks ago uh, that uh, they're aiming to shut down the coal uh, energy plants uh, at Svalbard within. Ooh certain number of years so by 2025 or 27 or something depending on the technology they they uh, choose uh, will Svalbard will also be uh, fossil free I think that's that's the plan mm -hmm. so we'll see how this this goes in in parallel but we're obviously in very nice and good contact with the Norwegian authorities and the local authorities in Svalbard and see how the airport can sort of 
uh, fill in and, and be instrumental in that uh, in that uh, shift. So that's an extremely interesting project, actually, from an extremely interesting place in so many respects. Indeed, it, it's in very high up in my bucket list, I must say, because it's uh, I I've seen quite a few pictures and it looks really impressive. It's also the place where you can see polar bears. If you go out in the open, you you need to carry a rifle with you or something like that, just in case you you're attacked by polar bears. I think. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's very close to the North Pole. Um, yeah, but when if, we uh, when we can travel again, we should go together. I haven't I haven't been there yet, so it's really yeah. high on my bucket list as well. With, so. with pleasure. So uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. In any case, you have um, a company goal at Avinor to be totally fossil free by two thousand and thirty, hmm. right? So that obviously that refers to your own operations. So the, the buildings and, and the and the ground movements and all that, not not the airplanes, but yeah. but still, I mean 2030, that's right around the corner. What's the current situation when it comes to, to this goal? Well, the uh, the goal was set uh, based on sort of the ACI Airport Council International goal for uh, all airports in, in Europe that by twenty fifty all airports should be sort of so-called net zero carbon. And uh, you already mentioned our electricity situation and uh, sort of the, uh, in, in Norway, and also that we're trying to be uh, ahead and push the agenda. So our CEO decided that uh, our target should be 2030. And uh, mind you, the Svedavia, the Swedish airport operator has an even more ambitious goal. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so, uh, and we is translated it to make it possible to communicate uh, to fossil-free uh, airport operations. So we should not use fossil f uh, fuels uh, by 2030. So uh, uh, one of my great colleagues, Hege Ringnes, is now uh, and, and 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 others are looking into this uh, now building a plan step by step, looking into new technologies for, uh, for ground vehicles, for um, runway de-icers, for firefighting training sites, uh, for basically all, all the stuff we use uh, at an airport uh, every year. And mm -hmm. uh, what technologies are in the coming, uh, what can we start investing in now, what needs more research and development, what can we sort of count on in the in the future so we're building this uh, plan now step by step and uh, it will obviously be a balance between investing in new zero emission technologies and uh, and uh, using biodiesel or biofuels all the kinds of stuff that's based on uh, biomaterials but um, the goal is indeed to reach uh, fossil free airport mm -hmm. operations uh, by uh, by 2030 so wow. we have 10, 10, 10 years uh, uh, to uh, complete the job, and I'm pretty confident that we will that we will succeed. Just to uh, remark here, one thing is that when you're talking about fossil-free, not carbon neutral, because you've been already offsetting emissions for quite some time, but actually to make sure that um, all the energy that you consume is mm. really not uh that is not putting more carbon in absolute numbers into the atmosphere correct yeah mm -hmm. so you have 10 years i guess uh, <laughs> to uh to push this which is quite quite ambitious if you consider how many things are going on in an airport is this for the whole network or only for oslo airport oh this is from all from avinur the airport 
group or group. Okay, uh, all the 44. Yeah. <clears throat> all the 44 airports, yeah. And one thing I also wanted to mention here, you are also looking at things like the management of airspace, right? Because one thing is, uh, well, taking care obviously of all the, the terminals, the, the ground movements and all that, but you are also, uh, as a group, you are also responsible for the air operations management, right? Air traffic management. That's also something that you are taking care of uh, from a sustainable carbon reduction point of view. Yes, that's uh, correct. We are also the <coughs> air navigation service provider in Norway. So we are, Avinor is responsible for air traffic management in uh, Norwegian airspace. Um, uh, it's uh, now organized as a, a daughter company, that we call it a separate uh, company, uh, but it's fully owned by, by Avinor Group. So yes, indeed, uh, uh, we have been working on uh, optimizing uh, both uh, uh, approaches and departures, and also the sort of the total airspace um, for a number of years, implementing um, what, what we used to in the old days called green landings and, uh, and departures, which is now called um, uh, continuous descent and, uh, and arrivals. We're using uh, uh, so-called um, performance-based navigation, uh, PBN um, approaches uh, using satellite technology to shorten the, um, uh, the, the in-flights, uh, implementing uh, CDM, collaborative uh, decision-making, etc., etc. Free route airspace, uh, doing uh, quite a lot of interesting stuff in the airspace that uh, obviously, the general public cannot see. Uh, the pilots uh, and the airlines uh, can see it uh, more or less. Uh, they always have uh, comments on, 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 on what you're doing, uh, sometimes uh, positive comments and uh, sometimes maybe more constructive comments or uh, where there's room for improvements. Uh, we definitely hear that as well. Uh, but yes, we have indeed over the years had several projects uh, trying to make our airspace more efficient and thus reducing the fuel burn for the, from the airlines and also carbon emissions, obviously. Yeah, that's actually a dimension of air operations that are usually, maybe because they are not tangible, you know, it's not visible to the naked eye, tend to be kind of forgotten uh, in, the, in the general debate, but actually there's still quite a lot of scope to reduce emissions through a more efficient management of the airspace like you are trying to do. I had on a yep. podcast a few a few weeks ago, I had uh, on the podcast uh, the founder of Open Airlines, which is a French company that does uh, software that helps the airlines actually do that as well. Uh, so optimize a flight path, for example, so that pilots can fly smarter and, and burn less fuel. And, and this is also a very, a very important part of what can be done to basically to consume less fuel, less fossil fuel. It's interesting to see that you guys also uh, on top of it. So much to unpack here. So many things going on in parallel. I guess the, the key here is that there is no silver bullet, as I said earlier. Uh, so it's a whole combination of measures. And yep. Yeah. So basically for people that wish to learn more about your activities in this area, and to and to see what sort of activities and programs you have now ongoing uh, maybe what are the best resources you can recommend uh, going to your website or you have other channels where people can be up to date 
with all your activities in sustainability? Yeah, I think uh, as of now, like mid-January 2021, um, I think the report we've been talking a little, sort of been centering our discussion around. I uh, hope you can post a link to that press release and the report in the... Yes, in the, uh, definitely. In the show in the notes. notes here? Yeah. In the show notes, yeah. And uh, then I must say that we are, we will in the coming weeks uh, make a full uh, refurbishment of our English uh, website, uh, which is definitely not up to uh, up to speed. Um, so, in a couple of weeks, perhaps early February 2021, I uh, we aim to have uh, more information on our English uh, language website as well. The, the the Norwegian version is a little bit better. So avinor.no yeah avinor.no okay mm. very good so i think basically sort of for us in the for us in the aviation industry this is an aviation podcast is that it's it's extremely hard to foresee the world uh, without aviation in the future even during a pandemic you know there has been uh, quite a lot of quite a lot of air travel actually so we're totally dependent on on aviation but we have to reduce emissions from our industry and we have to work together to find the solutions. And uh, after being uh, some years in the aviation industry, I'm just so I think it's so I'm just so thankful, and I think it's such such a nice thing to 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 go to work every morning and work with all these uh, nice people in the OEMs and in the airlines and everywhere, sort of trying to push the agenda to um, to find zero and uh, very low emission solutions for the for the future aviation, which mm-hmm. we think is. We are totally dependent on finding these solutions to get the license to operate in the in the future. Yeah, indeed, there's so much going on as well now. Um, mm. I mean, some of this technology is still early stage, but you see so much activity around. And and well, from this podcast, we kind of try to well show them, showcase them, um, so that uh, people can be on top of. What's going on and particularly interesting is to look at, at examples of those organizations that are a bit ahead of the curve, like it's the case of Avinor, because I guess that's kind of showing the path where others will follow later on. Uh, well, Olaf, it's been uh, great learning, having this very, very extensive, detailed conversation about all the different things that you guys are doing there in Norway. I We'll be posting all these links and resources on the show notes so that people can have a look. Yes, definitely. So I feel like we could talk for hours, but it's been very nice uh, being here and uh, and uh, talking to Mikkel. And uh, who knows? Maybe we'll travel to Svalbard together in the in the future. Hopefully, I'm yeah, <laughs> I'm all for it. <laughs> very good. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Olaf. Okay, and thank you again for having me. It's been a pleasure. Before you go, and if you like this podcast, a quick reminder that it would be absolutely great if you could please give it a rating on Apple, Spotify, or whichever platform you are using, or recommend it to a friend or whomever might be interested. Thank you very much, and see you soon. Mm -hmm.